Welcome back to another episode of Messages of Necessity, and Happy New Year. The 2023 legislative session begins in just a few days, and in this special first episode of the year, we'll go over what you can expect from Albany and what we hope happens in Albany. We'll also talk about our latest project, The Next New York, which outlines policy reforms and recommendations that can help restore the Empire State. But first, here are a few highlights from the Empire Center blog. The Climate Action Council approved its scoping plan late in 2022 for implementing the CLCPA, but it doesn't address the state's looming problems with energy reliability. The CLCPA requires the state to get 70% of its electricity from renewable sources by 2030, and we're currently only at about 30%. That means New York would need to more than double its renewable energy generation capacity in just the next eight years to meet the stated goals, and that's only if energy demand stays the same. The state labor commissioner has finally given an estimate of how much of the $105 billion in unemployment insurance benefits was lost to fraud during the COVID-19 pandemic. The official estimate revealed by the office puts the number somewhere around $4 billion. We hope you'll stay up to date with the Empire Center throughout the year. And of course, we'll do our part to keep you posted with more messages of necessity. Stay tuned. All right, welcome back to another episode of Messages of Necessity. I'm Tim Hofer, uh, here with EJ McMahon, founding and senior fellow at the Empire Center for Public Policy. EJ, thanks for coming on. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. So we're talking today about our newest project. Um, here we are, the, uh, the, the governor has just been inaugurated. Uh, legislative session is going to kick off tomorrow. Uh, we'll get to the state of the state the week after that. Um, lots coming in New York. The Empire Center released its newest project, The Next in New York, uh, a compendium of 11 chapters of things that New York needs to do. So, EJ, you drove this project for us. You were sort of working on um, not only your own chapter, but the concept for the whole thing. Talk to us a little bit about why we did this. Well, as you know, we've every cycle for the past several legislative cycles, the Empire Center, like a lot of other organizations that do research or policy analysis, <clears throat> and put out a summaries report about attempting to summarize ideas and research that we've done in the past. And so six to eight, maybe 10 page sort of flyers with a summary of trying to touch on everything. Um, at this point, I think there was a realization that um, it's, it's kind of a lot of stuff is piled up in, in a lot of substantive areas. There's, a, there's, there's some very sort of deep and meaty issues out there, which we can get to in a minute in terms of what they are. <clears throat> that require a, a deeper dive. And there's also, uh, in, in recent uh, cycles, there's more and more younger and newer members of the legislature. There's a generational turnover in the electorate and among local politicians as well. And so I think the effort here was was to kind of, to kind of step back and to provide a deeper dive of, of research into where things now stand in certain key areas. Um, as a way of, of, of creating a foundation for them expressing and laying out ideas for what should be done in the years ahead. And you were just talking about the foundational purpose of this paper, and that's an right. important point, right? As, right? as legislators come in and out of yeah. Albany, they don't have the historical context, and right. that's part of why this is so important. Right. And that's, it's particularly, it's something that particularly strikes me as, as a basically a certifiable old guy. I mean, I'm, I'm 68 years old, I don't mind saying 
And I've been around here as, a, as going back to years as a reporter for more than 40 years. Yeah. And a lot of things have changed. There's been a lot of change just in the last 10 to 15 years, actually. And uh, all of the present day policy challenges we deal with, are, which are different from the ones you would have identified in many ways 20 years ago, say, or 30 years ago, to a certain degree. Um, they all re- they require some background on, on what's been happening. So uh, your chapter in this is is on the budget and on tax policy. Right. Um, give us a quick highlight of, of of what you wrote about and what the recommendations are. Well, what my uh, my uh, title my chapter, which is the lead one, is entitled "Getting a Grip on the Budget," because I think it's. Kind are of, you implying there's something wrong with the budget? Well, this has been a very strange period. As I begin lead in doing, I've been following the budget particularly closely for 30 odd years now. And there's never been a period quite like this. So remember, we had this period uh, under under Andrew Cuomo where he kind of changed gears, made an effort to appear at least to restrain spending and reset during his 10, what ended up being his 10 fiscal years as governor. And to to a certain degree, he did. I mean, he held. He said he had a self-imposed cap of two percent on spending, which he achieved some more years than not, often by dint of using some gimmicks. But basically, there was a. It's a, even if you add in and adjust for that, it was a period of relative restraint in spending after after the Great Recession, and the federal bailout via stimulus aid in, in 2009-10. He inherited this huge gap. He did a big corrective budget. Reduction and restraint period in his first budget, and then there was basically coasting uh, along a certain line, which is documented in the report. Yeah. Uh, then we come to the pandemic, and what the governor did there, we review the facts, is he he had this grossly exaggerated how much it was affecting us because while it seemed at first that we were going to really be in trouble, <clears throat> they quickly emerged that we were not in big trouble. The money was still rolling in. The chant by the left of tax the rich is is kind of ironic because, in fact, we do tax the rich. And that's why we not only remained afloat, but the state prospered and was raking in revenue to a degree no one expected, even during the the worst of the pandemic. Then come these repeated federal stimulus, uh, you know, pandemic relief bills. So we're now in this really odd situation where we simultaneously have extraordinarily high increases in spending stepped it up quite a bit, and uh, building reserves, which is what the governor likes to boast about having done, and uh, tax revenue still growing as of through most of the, the current fiscal year. Which but has but the expectation year. is that, I mean, well, we know some of it's right. going to change, right? The federal right. dollars are going away. Right. Um, the expectation is that the economy is going to continue to slide right. or, or worse. We don't right. know yet. So what's that mean going into, you know, for example, this budget cycle for the governor? The, this, well, the situation we're in is unsustainable. It just is totally unsustainable. There's an old thing called, among economists, called Stein's Law, after a guy named Herb Stein, who was a great economist, and a Nixon-era economist. If something can't continue, it will stop. This can't continue. The question is whether steps will be taken now to reset and to actually curb what's now a plan to up the spending path that's that's scheduled to just keep going up as if good times will never end or whether we or whether we not just belt tighten but actually fundamentally uh you know reduce and reform spending uh debt policies and also realize that this whole thing to a greater degree than ever more than any state more than any time in our history we are extremely dependent on a small number of very high income earners whose numbers are shrinking 
So the governor said that um, she doesn't want to raise taxes. Right. And that's going to create a problem. So you've got the legislature on one hand saying, let's spend more. The governor saying that we're not going to do anything right. to raise more revenue. So how do you how do well, you bridge those two the, things? One thing that was concerning about the way she talked about that. Also, I don't think they necessarily have been pressing or asking her the media the right questions, really. But her answer, her answer was just kind of weak, weak. It was it wasn't what are, what are you crazy? We don't need to raise taxes. Her answer was, oh, we don't need to raise taxes. We just cut taxes. Now, this is like a sleight of hand. They accept she accelerated a, a quote unquote middle class tax cut that at most for people who are actually making in low six figures, not people making less than that, will save a few hundred dollars a year sooner. That's financed by an enormous increase in, in uh, the tax rate on the highest earners, on millionaire, multimillionaire earners, which is supposed to be temporary, but as now structured, will not be temporary. When it's supposed to end in a few years, it will be extended unless something else is done. That's the, and, and again. But there's something else in that sentence is whether you make adjustments to spending. Right. So that that can go away. She, and there's, and that's a big question because on the one hand, she has a lot of members in her own party who want to spend for whom a double digit increase in spending is just the beginning. They want to massive, they want to fundamentally change to a degree never seen the, the role of the state and the level of its spending on all sorts of stuff, not just starting with essentially socializing housing at every level and bailing anybody who can't pay their rent will pay it for them. Um, that, that is simply untenable. She's At some point, as governor, it doesn't matter what party you're in or what your ideology, the buck stops with the governor. Yeah. This is ultimately you. If there's a problem, it's your problem. I can tell you from experience watching this through several cycles, when things go south, when it gets bad, the legislature is nowhere to be found. This is the governor's problem. It's not their problem. They just they're 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 on the dial is set to spend and nothing else. Right. And the governor is going to be find herself in, in a deep problem if she doesn't start saying stop, holding up a stop sign. And and actually redu holding spending lower than she might even prefer if she were a member or based on her own political preferences, because that's the only way to control things. Yeah. So. Um, all right. So she needs to do something. What are, what are the practice? I mean, are there are there three things? Are there four things that, it that has she to start? Do? It starts with two things. The, the, the two biggest parts of the budget, which are now over half of the state operating funds budget, are school aid and Medicaid. Medicaid, as Bill Hammond of the Empire Center has been documenting for several years, had begun to burst through its cap and run out of control the last several years of the Cuomo administration, which the governor was almost literally trying to sweep under the rug. He had belatedly begun to try to grapple with it through a reform program that got derailed by the pandemic, which not only made it politically uh, more difficult for him to do it, but also the federal added federal aid we got to prop up the program prohibited doing anything. Now, <clears throat> basically, Medicaid is on the verge of just like spiraling totally out of control. That has to be reared. And that's a huge fight. And, and But has that fought, fight has to be fought. The second thing is school aid. You've got declining enrollment. Um, you have massive federal aid, and which is being just poured into these schools. And here's the point. Schools don't, it's not complicated how schools spend money. Schools spend money in one of two ways. They add staff and they pay the staff more. That's yeah. it. It's that simple. The buses, the books, the, all that's peanuts. This, it's basically people. And when you build the spending base, when you permanently, when you expand staff and raise salaries, you are adding to the recurring spending base. And that is a real problem. So, so your advice is, one, get a handle on what's happening in healthcare spending. Two, 
reduce education spending. Right. Um, reduce the increase. And by the way, in both cases, as has often been the case historically, you're talking about simply stopping them from growing. Yeah. I mean, it's not like slash them, which has been done in the past. Cuomo's first budget, he slashed school aid by a billion dollars. But the schools were prepared for it because they knew they had an unsustainable hunk of money from the feds. Now, you know, I think they ultimately the people who run local schools still know this. But um, you, it, before it's if you get get a grip on this now, you can address and, and rear back um, your spending levels by simply controlling spending and not letting spending continue on the path it's on. If you sure. do it for a few more years, then you're going to have to slash and burn, and that'll be much more difficult and disruptive politically and in practically speaking. So there's a reason to act right now oh, in yes. this budget, right. in this session. Right. Sure. Um, all right. So aside from um, healthcare and education, other practical steps. I mean, these are right. outlined in the next New York in your chapter. Right. But what are a couple of the well, other Well, there's things? a couple of things that have been needed to be done for a long time uh, in no particular order. But for instance, um, we the, our fiscal year starts April 1st. No other state starts April 1st. They all start July 1st. You have a session that ends in like early June of the legislature. It's a compressed time period. Functionally, the whole thing process will work better if you move to July 1st, which is what it was when the executive budget law was passed almost a century ago into the 40s. That's a procedural issue. You should have, we should go to uh, generally accepted accounting principles, which are basically a way of accounting for uh, budgeting and spending that makes it harder to hide problems by, by paying bills, you know, one day later every year into a new fiscal year and letting problems develop, which is what we've been doing with Medicaid. The state required the city to budget in accordance with what's called GAAP, G-A-A-P, back in the fiscal crisis of the 70s. The state should do the same thing. Um, uh, we should let that we should begin this year to phase out, that is, ratchet down the tax increases that were that were not necessary and were not needed that were enacted in the 2021 spring with the 22 budget. Those are the ones we were just talking about. The ones we were just talking about, which are which are really going uh, are really going to uh, accelerate, I think, erosion in our tax base if we don't get to them now. Um, I think as contrary to the former governor's comments, people do leave for a reason. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, like there are. uh, Well, Cuomo spoke out of both sides of his mouth on this issue like pretty strenuously. But. I've never heard Governor Hochul like make a comment on it one way or the other, but the fact is that the statistics, which are cited in this report, we our share of the nation's income millionaires has been dropping now for 10 years. It's at an all-time low based on what we have any record of, and that's going to spell real trouble for us. So we need to phase that out. The legislature itself, a lot of the problems that people cite with the lack of transparency in the budget and kind of mystery that surrounds it and uh, double talk around. This is the legislature. It's not the governor. The budget process is the most, when when she puts out her budget February 1st, that's as transparent as it gets. There's a lot of detail on the table then, much more than there was 20 or 30 years ago, by the way. Um, The problem is once it's in the legislature's corner, they obfuscate and have like a slipshod process. They don't inform their own members, much less the public, of what it is they're talking about, what the implications are. One of the things they should do is they should have a legislative budget office modeled on the Congressional Budget Office, the CBO, to do economic analysis and fiscal analysis to share with on a nonpartisan basis, to share with members and the public, give us a better idea of, of what is going on and what are the implications of the things you're considering. Finally, they should everybody should be everybody should meet their dead, reporting deadlines that 2007, early this time of this time of year, 
when Elliot Spitzer had just taken office uh, 16 years ago now, um, there was much value. There was this huge celebration where the then Republican Senate and the Democrats in the Assembly joined with Spitzer in announcing this wonderful budget reform they had done, the budget reform of 2007, which was going to require better financial reporting and transparency by the governor and the legislature. And we'll get into the details. It's gone. We go through it in, the, in our uh, chapter. Uh, the fact of the matter is they haven't enforced most of the deadlines associated with that. And we don't know much more than we used to back then, with a few exceptions. Yeah. <clears throat> because basically the legislature and the governor have blown past these things, ignored them, half-heartedly adhered to them. And it's like a common sort of a wink and a nod between the two sets, the two sides that, you know, we're just not going to take this seriously. Well, and, besi- and beside the fact that, that they're statutorily required to do some of these things, there's a, there's a, there's a budgeting reason right. to do them, yes. which is so that they also understand right. what the financial right. picture Because I, it's too easy for members to be ignorant of what's going on, which is why they, frankly, they often sound so ignorant of what's going on. And it, they need to, these things need to be approached with eyes wide open. And, and that's one of the biggest problems we've had in Albany for a long time. Yeah. Well, it'll be a it'll be a shock to anybody who's listened to us for a long time that the recommendations in the budget section are to follow the rules, spend right. less money. Right. Yeah. Right. But that's essentially what it boils down to. Right. Um, right. Right. So, uh, well, this is great. Um, I think that we're going to be able to get a lot of legs out of the next New York. Right. Um, I certainly hope that people are reading it. I certainly hope that the legislators and the governor and their staffs are reading this because it's an important I, I should probably add, because we're implying that the whole thing's about the budget. So there's 11 chapters in this. So I, I think it's a very full and, and, and meaty product. Again, this doesn't touch every single issue. That I was is. just going to say, I mean, this, is, more this is a starting point. This is a right? starting yeah, point, yeah. and you can only do so much. I wouldn't claim that there's not, that this is everything you need to care about. But in these areas, at least, I think it's as, as deep a dive as you're going to find. And I think that uh, it's 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 a, a good place, I think, for people, for the public and for elected officials to start, yeah. I would hope, and, and uh, to kind of dig into these issues and uh, really think of seriously about some overdue solutions. Yeah, agreed. All right. Well, thank you. Thank, um, you. thank you for tuning in. This is another episode of Messages of Necessity. We'll see you soon. Welcome to another episode of Messages of Necessity. My name is Kyle Davis. I'm the Director of Public Affairs at the Empire Center, and I'm here with Bill Hammond today. How are you doing, Bill? Good to Kyle. Glad Bill, to be here. Bill is our uh, Senior Policy Fellow uh, of Health Policy, so we are very thankful that we could be having a conversation today on the New York State legis- Legislative Session and some of what we expect to see happen throughout the course of the next year. Uh, Bill has been a longtime observer of New York state policy and politics, so we're excited to be able to to dig into this. Uh, Bill, there is some announcements going on recently in terms of what what is going to happen over the course of the next few weeks and months with the legislative session beginning. Do you want to kind of detail some of the key things that are going to happen throughout the next few weeks and months as we uh, move throughout the session? Well, the legislative session starts with the new year. It's also the start of Kathy Hochul's first full term as governor. So she's going to make an inaugural address. And then she'll give what's called the State of the State speech, which is her chance to, between those two speeches, she'll lay out her agenda. Um, and the State of the State will probably be more specific than the inaugural address. And then in her budget, which comes out in the middle of January, that's where she has to get really specific about how much she wants to spend in different areas. And and often the budget comes with a lot of changes to laws that, that are necessary to keep the state running. Um, at that point, for the next 
three months, she and the legislature will go back and forth over what the budget should look like. That's due at the end of March. Lately, they've been pretty much hitting that deadline. And then from the end of March until the end of June, they debate more substantive issues that weren't dealt with in the budget. So as you mentioned, this is Kathy Hochul's first term. Um, what are some of the key policy areas that you think that she's going to tackle this term to try to make a statement or make a splash in some way? I mean, she's a little bit of an unknown quantity because she's still relatively new. She took over at the very end of what would have been uh, Andrew Cuomo's third term. Um, she has gone through one budget cycle, but at the time she was running for election. And that tends to loosen the, uh, loosen the spigot on spending when you're running for election. She also had a huge amount of federal aid, and she had a, a pretty solid amount of, of tax revenue. So she had just boatloads of money. She was running for election. It was a pretty, it was a very flush year and it was a very generous budget. This year is sort of shaping up to be a tighter year because tax revenues have been soft. The, the pandemic aid is going away. So for the first time, she's gonna have to deal with uh, something of a fiscal crunch. It'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Another issue that she has already said she wants to put front and center is housing. And she made a whole speech about this, so she didn't give a lot of details, but she did kind of lay out the philosophy of what she's talking about. She says our state has a, a housing crisis, a shortage of housing, but it's not because of spending. She says we already spend a lot of money on housing, more than any other state. It's not because of the, the lack of tenant protections, because she correctly says we already have some of the most stringent tenant protections in the country. She says the main obstacle and the reason we're lagging in, in creating housing is regulation, uh, zoning laws and other regulations that inhibit developers from building the housing that they want to build. Those are A lot of those are local laws. And so it'll be interesting to hear, uh, presumably in her state of the state speech, how does she propose to loosen up local zoning laws? It's, if she goes at that, with the vigor that she indicated in her speech. If she makes that such a big issue, that'll be a big fight because that's gonna, that's gonna uh, pit the state against local government in a way that they don't usually, uh, they don't interfere with each other that way. Do you think of any other, um, you know, potential bills or policy areas that could move as a result of Hochul's first term in the legislature trying to, you know, battle for that power and how that dynamic is gonna play out over the next four years? Well, we had uh, what was considered a red wave in New York, but in spite of that, both houses returned with solid Democratic majorities. Each house has a progressive wing in the Democratic majority, and they are going to be very focused on being able to show another major achievement. One idea that's already been floated by Senator Ramos is the idea of an, a big increase in the minimum wage. She wants to push it to $20 statewide, a little bit above that in, in the downstate area, but also she wants to index it to inflation so you'd have a, a continuous increase in the minimum wage. That'd be very expensive. It'd be a, a big deal for um, businesses at all levels to have to cope with that. It would have a huge impact on Medicaid costs because Medicaid is maybe one of the, directly and indirectly, is one of the biggest minimum wage employers in the state. 
Um, that would that would add billions of dollars to Medicaid costs. So that would be a big fight. I don't know what kind of traction that's getting, but it is that's that's the kind of thing that progressives will put on the table as the session unfolds. And another another bill that I see uh, potentially moving, and so it'd be something to keep an eye on uh, for, is the All Electric Buildings Act, which would. Uh, actually take place as early as 2024 for buildings uh, lower than, I believe, it's seven stories high. Uh, and so that could be a, a huge cost barrier, like you were saying, Kathy Hochul, trying to expand housing access and affordability. If something like the All Electric Buildings Act, I could see how that drives up prices, minimum wage drives up prices. I think there's a general point to be made that a lot of the, the cons- policy concerns that we're discussing has a tendency to, you know, over-regulate an already over-regulated state in a lot of way, and also um, increase the difficulty of doing business in New York State. I don't know if you would agree with that assessment. I mean, I think you just highlighted a real, an interesting thing. It'll be really interesting to see how Kathy Hochul deals with this, because it's very easy for her to say, we regulate too much and we zone too much, and that's preventing us from having housing. But when you dig into those regulations and zoning laws, there's a reason why they're there. You know, they, they were passed either because they thought it was important to, for safety reasons or to protect union labor or to because neighborhoods were leery of, of people moving in or they didn't like, you know, there were all these factors that led those rules to be passed in the first place. And by the way, we are in a position, in a period right now of adding layer upon layer of new regulations. So, I feel like Kathy Hochul has to pick a side on that one. You can't simultaneously support a lot of things that are going to drive up the cost of housing and present yourself as the champion of more affordable housing. Absolutely. Well, uh, in conclusion, I do want us to say potentially one policy uh, goal that we would love to see happen take place in New York State this year. I don't know if you have one in terms of healthcare policy, is that being your field of expertise? I think something that, I mean, there's kind of a sleeper issue. There's this law called the Health Care Reform Act, which um, most New Yorkers probably aren't aware of, but it includes several billions of dollars of taxes which are collected through their health insurance. So they and their employers are paying these taxes. They make, they make insurance more expensive. Um, that expires every few years. It's due to expire in 2023. And so I'd love to see them... Um, lower that tax, make insurance more affordable. I don't give that much hope, but it's important to at least put it out there. Absolutely. And and one area I would love to see change uh, take place in is obviously opening up an opportunity for more children to choose the school of their choice in New York. So whether that means, you know, fixing the zombie charter issue, as as it's been called, or the wasted charter issue, or even lifting the charter cap entirely would be amazing in terms of allowing students to have more access uh, to schools throughout New York State. So uh, I would like to thank everyone for uh, tuning into this episode of Messages of Necessity, and we look forward to seeing you next time. For more news and analysis, visit our website and sign up for email updates at empirecenter.org. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn at Empire Center. Visit nextnewyork.net to read our latest project, And stay tuned for more interviews with the authors.